Hello and welcome to this edition of Conversations. I'm Noah Epstein. And I'm Richie Tobin. This week we're going to talk about the Houston Astroworld concert tragedy, vaccinations in professional sports, the new Marvel movie Eternals, and the 24-hour film festival at Quinnipiac. But first, how's it going, Richie? It has been an easy breezy Thursday morning for me. How about you, Noah? <laughs> yeah, it's been good. I My uh, class was canceled this morning. And yeah, it's, it's a little little windy outside, a little bit, but mostly it's good. It's like 55 degrees, I think. It's it's a it's a pretty nice day in mid-November. It's not bad for mid-November. Mid-November is usually cold. It's a, it's an all right time of year right now. I, I feel know, like right? it's still kind of warm out. To be honest, I feel like some days I can even walk around in a t-shirt, which is weird for <laughs> November. I feel the same way. No, uh, Thanksgiving's coming up soon. My favorite holiday, best holiday in the world. Very excited for that one. Gonna munch up on a ton of food. <laughs> yep, same. All right, let's start with Travis Scott's Astroworld concert in Houston last weekend. At least eight people were killed and dozens more were injured during the concert, and the causes are still unknown. Lots of people who were there called the concert hectic and intense, with Scott asking the crowd to rage a lot during the event. Richie, have you ever heard anything like this? Uh, not on any other concert. I, I mean, this seemed like insanity. I watched so many videos for Twitter, and the whole event just turned into a mosh pit. I've really never seen anything like this before. I mean, eight people killed and hundreds injured. That's horrible. Yeah. Um. In your opinion, does Travis Scott get any of the blame for this? I think he definitely gets some for being on stage and creating the whole mosh pit. But also, I think a lot of it goes to his managers and the people behind the scenes that were managing the event. I feel like, I mean, I've saw videos of people literally climbing up and screaming to stop it, and then they didn't, which is horrible. Yep. Uh, so an ambulance came, the music at the concert stopped for a few seconds, apparently, and then Travis Scott said, if everybody good, put your middle finger up in the sky, and then told the crowd to make the quote-unquote ground shake. Um, the weird thing is, the security was, there was a lot of security at the concert. The Houston mayor... Sylvester Turner said we had more security over there than we had at the World Series games in Houston. Uh, there was 505 security staff members, 91 armed private security officers, and more than 500 police officers at the concert. So it's crazy to see at, at a concert that is this much security something like this happen. That's well, a lot of security, but it's still only one water fountain in the whole place. I mean, the people were dehydrated. They were inside of a mosh pit where they couldn't breathe. I mean, it's really a tragic event here. The dead range from ages 14 to 27. And the youngest in the hospital right now is only nine years old. That's horrible. The interesting thing is, Travis Scott does have a history of his concerts being very, very hectic. In 2015, he pleaded guilty to charges of reckless conduct when he encouraged fans at Lollapalooza in Chicago to climb over security barricades and onto the stage. Two years later, in 2017, a fan sued Travis Scott because he was pushed from a third-story balcony and was dragged on stage during a concert in Manhattan. I think the show definitely should have been stopped sooner, in my opinion. It definitely should have. Uh, and then, I mean, Travis himself even was seen in an after-party after the concert, which is terrible. Uh, I mean, I feel so bad for the families in Houston that were at this concert. It's uh, honestly just such a tragic thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all for having fun at a concert. I understand why, yeah, I understand why people want Concerts are always supposed to go crazy, but that's, there's a difference between having fun and causing problems, and that is just a terrible thing that happened there. I mean, I've been to a lot of rap, rap concerts myself, and I've not seen anything like this. That's horrible. Mm-hmm. Travis, I know Travis's music is more yeah, hype. hype, and will get people definitely crowds going, but it should never be to that extent where people can't breathe, and you're being shoved and can't escape. Like, that sounds like a torture chamber. 
From one moral standpoint to another, Kyrie Irving and Aaron Rodgers are both stars from their teams who are still unvaccinated during this season. And there's been a lot of buzz around this in the media. And Noah, I know you have a lot of opinions on this. So can you tell me some of your thoughts on the situation? So both Kyrie and Aaron Rodgers are unvaccinated. They both have a very similar situation, but it's not the same. It's not the same situation. So I'll start with Kyrie Irving. Kyrie has to get vaccinated in order to play in New York City. That's, that's the rules. If you're playing in an indoor court, you have to be vaccinated to play home games. So that's where the Nets play, where the Brooklyn Nets play, but he's, he's a part of the team. And the NBA season started October 19th. That's almost a month ago. Kyrie still isn't with his team. He's, he's, he's not playing. He's not playing basketball. He's been asked by the media time and time again why he won't get the vaccine. He hasn't really given an answer. He, he says he's a quote-unquote human being first. He hasn't really said that, he, he said that he's like not anti-vax, but he hasn't really like given a reason. Not that he has to necessarily, but he's, he's missed a lot of time. He's, he's missed the entire season so far with the team. There's a great column on the Kyrie situation by Sally Jenkins, writer for the Washington Post. Um, I highly recommend to anyone listening to read it, to you, Richie, to read it. It's a phenomenal piece on the whole situation. Whether you believe people should get the vaccine or not, if your work requires you to get it and you literally need to get vaxxed to do your job, get the vaccine. Uh, we know Kyrie's had his antics. He had the whole flat earth theory a couple years ago. But I, I do want to say... He's a great human being. Nothing against him as a character. He, you know, he's donated hundreds of thousands of dollars to the homeless and the hungry, to Native Americans, to black students, to social justice causes, international relief efforts. I mean, he's a phenomenal human being. But his problem is when it comes to basketball, not outside of basketball. So Kyrie is the star shooting guard of the Nets, a team that, ha that should have a high chance to make the finals. Uh, I mean, he's with Kevin Durant. James Harden. This team has a big three. They have they have a very good chance to make the finals and even win it, but they need Kyrie Irving, and who knows if he's even going to play this year. I just don't, I just understand, don't understand it from Kyrie's perspective. No, and I completely agree with you. I actually did read the Washington Post article that you, refer, uh, that you mentioned a minute ago, and I did kind of feel like it was attacking Kyrie a lot more than, say, a a non-biased article would. Even though I agreed with what they were saying, I felt like they were very much on the attack of Kyrie. And I want to get your opinions on how the Aaron Rodgers situation is different from this. So, Rodgers is also someone who's been attacked by the media uh, a lot of times uh, in the past week or week and a half. So, where the Rodgers situation is similar to the Kyrie situation is that he's unvaccinated. But here's where it's different. He's been allowed to play. The NFL and NBA have different rules. Rodgers has been allowed to play. He's played the first eight weeks of the season, and then he got COVID for week nine. That's why he missed last week. He went on the Pat McAfee show to clear everything up, what everyone was saying about him, uh, you know, about him being unvaccinated, because a lot of people were unhappy with the situation, which makes sense, because they, they reacted that way to the Kyrie situation, so they're going to react similar to the Rodgers situation. I watched the entire interview with Pat McAfee, and I don't get the outlash on him. I really don't. He's followed every single protocol for unvaccinated players, except where the only one he hasn't followed is wearing masks during press conferences, and that's where I disagree with him. He says that the rule is unjust so he sh and dumb, so he shouldn't have to do it. I disagree. It's a rule. You're unvaccinated. Follow the rule. I that's completely right. agree with you there. Uh, on the mask part specifically, I, I mean, I completely agree on everything that you're saying. I think that since he's not required to be vaccinated, he can still play and he has 
but not wearing a mask, that's affecting other people, and that's, you know, like germs, you gotta keep it to yourself, everyone needs to wear a mask, that's just kind of common sense at this point, and he can't be looping himself around that. Agreed, 100%. But he explained why he didn't get the vaccine in the first place, and that's because he's allergic to ingredients in the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. And that's a completely good reason. I think that's totally reason why not to. He shouldn't have to get it, and he isn't required to. You know, I mean, he's a... I mean, as Kyrie Irving says, he's a human being and decisions are his own. Even though it's two different situations, that's kind of the answer to it. As long as they're wearing masks. I mean, Kyrie, I think, should get vaccinated. He is, you know, he has to to play and should. He's inside of an indoor contained place. Aaron Rodgers is outside. I just think he should wear the mask and be safe around people. But I totally agree with everything you're saying here. Yeah, so he has a good excuse not to, he had a good excuse not to take it. He's followed all protocols except the one which, again, I, I completely disagree with him on that. And he's allowed to do his job if he's unvaccinated. So he tested positive. But as of right now, he's not getting suspended. As of right now, as of November 11th at 1.27 p.m., he's not suspended. Who knows what's going to happen? But as of right now, he's not. So it only looks like he's going to miss one or two weeks tops. And I firmly believe he should not be getting attacked the way he is. I mean, yeah, he's allergic. That's not—what is he supposed to do? You know, there, there's not really another option there. The mask thing is the big thing that I think he should get attacked for. Make him wear a mask. Make him cover his germs. But he can't get the vaccine. He's allergic. That's not something he can control. That's, you know, not something he can do anything about. Exactly. His, his, his defense for the whole mask thing is that he's in a room with a bunch of reporters that are sitting far away, and they're all vaccinated, and they're all wearing masks, so why should he? People— might say that he should get the Johnson and Johnson. Rogers did because he's only allergic to the Pfizer and Moderna. Um, Rogers did clarify that he said he he was thinking about getting the Johnson and Johnson, but then it was held back because of all the problems that it had in April. So that was that was his defense for that. I was going to say there are a lot of problems I've heard with the Johnson and Johnson. I know people that got that, and I mean I understand why I didn't get that either. Like I think he's making good points there. I would agree with what he's saying. Beyond the mask thing, I think. I'd agree with Aaron Rodgers there. I still think that Kyrie should get vaccinated. The newest Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, Eternals, is now out in theaters. I saw it on Monday. Richie, I know you saw it as well. I what saw do you it think on the Thursday premiere. I was there, 8 p.m., ready to go. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. What do you uh, What do you think of the movie? Um, Like, it's hard, because I feel like this movie had so much going for it. I will say right away, as a Game of Thrones fan, seeing Kit Harington, Richard Madden, and a soundtrack by Rami and Jawadi on screen together, not to mention the fact that their main character is named Cersei, is a lot of great things for a Game of Thrones fan to see. But, I mean, also, I'm an MCU fanatic. I love all of their movies. I've rewatched some of my favorites. Infinity War, I might have seen 30 times by now. Only 30? Only 30. Oh, wow. That, you have, you have <laughs> hey, a lot of catch I, I could I could blow some records off time, all right? Endgame, <laughs> I saw that five times in theaters. Really? Okay. It's weird. If that that's, shatters records there, if you're weird. wondering where all the Marvel money comes from, it's me. <laughs> <You're> the <reason laughs> they, uh, they're draining my pockets, yeah. <laughs> my Okay, so my view on Eternals is this. I'm going to talk about the problems first because there were, there were a lot. There were definitely some. There were a yeah. lot. I mean, <laughs> it, it was just blander is the word I'd use to describe it. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the main problem in this movie is that you have way too many main characters. There were like 10 main characters that they all tried to focus on, and that just it didn't work. It didn't work at all. Uh, there was not enough time to get to know all of them. 
we literally have two hours of going around and, and, you know, bringing the whole band together, even though we never really saw them together in the first place. So they were all like going to different locations and, and bringing them all back together. And that took up literally like, what, an hour 45, two hours of the movie. It, so that just, that didn't really work for me. What, what do you think about that part? Honestly, I'm going to disagree with you on this part here. I think the characters is one of the strongest things that they've built up. Uh, I think that it's such a hard challenge to go in as a director and establish a team like the Avengers that uh, the Avengers already exist in this universe. Like, what were they even needed for? What were they doing? There's a lot of big questions asking. So it's a big task to put on someone. And I feel like the director established each of the characters really well and introduced all of them as characters that we can like. I feel like the problem was the story, and specifically the ending, which... Spoiler alert, when Richard Madden's Icarus flies into the sun, I laughed in the theater. I thought that was goofy, and it's supposed to be the most dramatic moment of the movie. The ending's really what killed it for me. I thought that the characters were great. I loved Kingo, or Brian Tree Henry's Fastos, who I love him in Atlanta. I've seen characters like that. They really carried a lot of this movie. But having the ending just kind of fall so sort of anticlimactically... I feel like they built up Richard Madden as this hero and then the downfall villain and watching him fly into the sun as your ending. Ah, I don't know. I was not here for it. It wasn't dramatic enough. It wasn't big enough for me. We just left movies like Endgame and all sorts of Far From Home where the crazy big scale things are going on. And I mean, I know that they killed an Eternal. That's a big thing. They froze him. But it didn't feel as big as it could have. One thing that I didn't really think of as soon as the movie ended but i thought about it like like maybe a day or two after so the celestials created and designed the eternals to uh defeat the deviants correct so why why is one of them a child and one of them deaf and they all don't have powers that could defeat the the deviants it makes no sense think about it (laughs) It's a very valid question, but I feel like they asked that question in there. The character Sprite was asking herself the whole time, like, why was I made like this? Why am I a kid? You don't get the answer answer to, but there's also sequels coming. So I feel like an answer might come. I will say for that now, though, um, the Eternals were made, I think, however many of them, it's split in half. And half of them were meant to be like the thinkers and half of them were meant to be like the fighters. So some of them do have different aspects to them. Also, in a writing sense, it would kind of be weird if they were all similar people. Like, you definitely have your tougher ones and your more smarter-thinking ones, which is kind of unique and cool to see for the story. I would like to see how they went in sequels. I feel like this felt like a great introduction piece. It was just bland and boring. And I mean, taking another sort of introduction piece that was also released this month, or I guess last month now, uh, Dune felt like a huge introduction piece but I was so invested in that. This felt the same, but I was a lot less invent- invested. I, I didn't want, I, I didn't care as much. I'll, I'm not gonna rash on the movie too hard. I'll, I'll tell you the things that I liked about it. So, first of all, I really like the idea of the characters being conflicted about not interfering in human affairs. I really like that, actually. I talked, uh, I saw, again, I saw it with my two friends. They disagree with me. They, they didn't really care about that. I liked it. It was like, a little bit, it showed a little bit of motion when Druig really wanted to interfere. He was like, I have the ability to, you know, stop this war that was going on, but I can't use it. So that was, that was really, it was cool to see them arguing about that. I liked that concept. Also, Icarus and Cersei's story, I liked it. It was, you know, a romantic story. 
you know, they, they, they meet each other 7,000 years ago. Uh, Icarus leaves, now they reunite. Icarus turns bad. Then they had the whole uh, thing at the end where they were going to fight, but then Icarus started crying because he couldn't fight her. I like that story. Actually. I did not like the ending of that story. <laughs> I, I thought that the romance was like, okay, but it felt like she was going to cheat on... Kid Harrington with Icarus. By that, by that part, are we still even thinking about Kid Harrington? He was barely even. He relevant. was barely even there, and then he was just like doing phone calls, and she was hanging up on him. Like I was not sure what was going on there. To see uh, a character named Cersei cheat on one Stark brother with another would have been wild as a Game of Thrones fan, to be honest. <laughs> but instead, all we got was Icarus flying into the sun, which was not a big fan of. I thought he had so much cool powers. Honestly, yeah. now that I'm thinking about it more, like it was just sort of. Bland. It was a blander Marvel movie. It was a skippable one. There's yep. a couple. It's another Thor to the Dark World, you know? You yeah, watch it, they establish an Infinity Stone. You watch it, they establish Eternals and Celestials and stuff. They're, they're builder pieces, which yep. have to happen, but could have happened a little bit more creatively. I want to ask you one last thing on the MCU overall. I want to hop into what are your top three Marvel movies ever? Actually, just MCU. I don't want to say ever. <laughs> this is excluding the Sony MCU and Fox. Movies. I know my top two. Because th- I feel like this helps to give insight on, you know, how you feel about these. Number one, Infinity War. Number two, Endgame. Number three, Captain America Winter Soldier. So you're there for the big pictures. Those are all the classic, like, I mean, yeah, hardest-hitting films, definitely. 100%. But it's not just because it's, like, big. It's 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 the storytelling. Infinity War, it's the pace. It's the Thanos as the as the Infinity you know, War's pacing basically. is perfect. It's there perfect. is something going on at all times. Those are why, actually, some of my Marvel movies are my favorites. I think I'd go number three as Infinity War. Number two is Spider-Man Homecoming. Number one, hot take, Guardians of the Galaxy 1. Okay, I, I was I was afraid you were gonna say volume two, and I was about to be very very shocked. Guardians is number, f- Guardians is probably number four for me. See, a lot of people disagree with this. I asked my friends about this, and they don't like Guardians, and I really? don't understand why. That's very surprising. I love that movie. It has so much energy. There, James Gunn does a thing where he tries to put in a joke or something fresh every thirty seconds. So there is constantly something going on for people whose attention spans drift <laughs> off, and then you're zoned right back in. It's always entertaining. I think that film, I mean, I base this off of rewatch value. Infinity War, Homecoming, and Guardians are all movies that I've watched a million times. And I have a fantastic time watching every time. I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy, James Gunn makes you love a a talking tree, a talking (laughs) raccoon. It's unbelievable what he does. Also, I'm way more surprised about Homecoming being number two than I am about Guardians being number one. Yep. I, I mean, I love Spider-Man. As a comic fan, I love Spider-Man. I think Homecoming's a perfect story of Peter Parker. You finally see him actually young. I mean, in The Amazing Spider-Man, he's like, I don't know, a little too handsome and perfect for me in that movie. He doesn't feel like Peter Parker. And then in Tobey Maguire's version, he's too old. He's already in college. We've never really seen like a young freshman Peter Parker like that before, and that's perfect for what it was. It built the character. It felt like Spider-Man. That's also why I love Guardians, because those are comics I never read. Um, (laughs) Guardians of the Galaxy were not really, like, anything that people knew about. And James Gunn just built them from the ground up, basically, and took obscure characters and made it mainstream, which is crazy to do. Yep. Marvel Cinematic Universe, most impressive movie series I've ever seen, without a doubt. The 24-hour film challenge happened over this weekend here at Quinnipiac, and today we have student filmmakers Ben Darling, Tyler Toledo, and McLean Hirschbiel to talk about their experiences. 
This year was especially unique because it fell on daylight savings, giving the filmmakers an extra hour to grind out their projects. Now, uh, Tyler and McLean, you guys were both in the group The Outliers. Yeah. Can you yeah. talk to me about your group's project? So ours, you know, it's funny. We had a gas leak in ours, and that's what it felt like. Um, we ended up falling back because we had to meet like these certain cir uh, circumstances. It had to be the theme had to be time, character always had to be late, and uh, the character's name had to be Mario. Am I missing over the? Yeah, There's so a lot there, of them. Yeah. there were a couple requirements that you guys had to put in. It's a character named Marty. You have to have a clock that must be shown. You have to have a character who's always late, a character who dances on screen, a character who says it's now or never, and then a reversed shot. And so then, sorry, how, how did you guys roll into that? So we knew we had to make our theme time, so we went with uh, kind of doing a Groundhog Day type thing where this character is in a time loop. Um, our character is a loser. Like, we open it with the gamer's den. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, is the, uh, that is the first action line in our script. It says, enter the gamer's den. Marty, 23, sits in his bedroom munching on some chips and playing video games and stuff like that. So this guy's a total loser. Um, but our genre is, we, we were assigned comedy based on the stopwatch. And I was just like, okay... How do we make this guy a total loser? But also, we, try, we got we got to include some comedy in there. So our film essentially follows Marty, who is an employee at this office job. What that office job is, I don't really know. We didn't think that far ahead. We we came up with this script in two hours. <laughs> it was a gas leak script, you know. Yeah. Like to say that the joke we had is like, well, we added a gas leak in the script. It's one of the way he dies over and over again yeah. because like it felt like we were writing this with gas leak. Of all the teams, I think uh, we're the only two teams of the seniors who were that came from the writing part of the uh, senior uh, projects. Yes. The challenge for us is we were both writers, so the writing part went fast and easy. We oh, were yeah. ahead of everybody. I was I was really happy with how the script turned out. And like it's like, man, people are still we got this, man, we got this. But then we were a two man team. The challenge just started piling up. Like we, we could only find one actor. Um, <laughs> yeah, and she was like the the most help we had throughout the entire straight thing. up. Essentially, what what our film really followed is. Marty, when he goes to this office job, he gets fired because he's always late. He sucks. Uh, one of the jokes we had in there, he was open, openly watching, you know, s stuff at work. His rebuttal to that was like, wait, no, I was just watching a movie. You just caught me at a bad scene. Um, but he's just an awful employee. So it, he gets fired every single day. And after he gets fired, he dies. And then, but he doesn't actually die. He gets set back to the moment before his boss calls him into work to get fired. So he's stuck in this loop of b getting fired over and over again until he could finally accept responsibility for being an awful employee. And I'm like, you know what? I deserve to be fired. I suck. Uh, you guys deserve better. Uh, and that's when he escapes his loop. So like, of course it's a comedy, but it's also just like really about valuing other people's time and um, taking responsibility for your actions. So I was like, yeah, it's a comedy. And we followed all the criteria, but kind of have has somewhat of a message to it too yeah you know the actual like making this part one of the challenges we quickly you know time is great but the editing for us was like one of the roughest parts because it's just like okay great we shot this we shot it out of order for the most part and also we have we had some continuity errors because like we had to work with time and all that and you know one of the things we is like we had to shoot stuff in the morning so we were editing trying to get as much done tonight and there was that moment of like oh man it's almost two and then it reset not because I've forgotten there was the hour, so my brain just kind of snapped. 2 a.m. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it 
it's what I caught again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> miss something? I was like, am I that tired? Like that was one of the things. It's like there was a moment. Where I was like, maybe I shouldn't drive because I am way too tired. No, that definitely ran really late. I was also up for the 2 a.m. with my group project, and feeling that hit another hour was rough. Yeah, you were also a two-man team, right? Yes, we were also the a two-man two team. two-man teams are rough to a point like, man, I should have maybe just asked around to see if there's anybody else in the two-man team. It's difficult. Definitely, I feel like next time, <coughs> since they do do this every year, next year I'm definitely going to get the four-man team. I feel like that's the best way to go about the project. Ben, darling, I know you had a four-man team. I did So have tell a me about your team. project here. So, um... We had got mystery based off of the uh, the stopwatch um, to give us the genre, and um, we incorporated time through ours by doing flashbacks. So it was a murder mystery about um, like a college party. My character was Marty. We spent a lot of time writing it. We didn't actually start filming until seven at night. We we wrote from twelve to six and then we took an hour for dinner um we wanted to absolutely positively make sure the the script was solid um shout out to carly who was like writing on the board and making it really like organized her handwriting is zillion times better than mine um and she just kind of helped us kept organized in our thoughts and we could really like make something that didn't make sense but also made sense so you can understand it and have fun with it um i don't want to spoil too much but like uh we'll start with an interrogation scene um we go through the list of names we have um taylor daniels um and then we added the marty in on there um throughout writing incorporating the challenges was especially difficult the worst challenge i will say was the reverse shot there was no way that we had any idea how to put it in where it made sense in the story um eventually we went with like having a reverse shot of one of the flashbacks to show that like a different point of view is about to take place so that was the easiest we could come up with um dancing the dancing challenge there was a dancing challenge in there i believe um but we added it because we had a college party since there was a murder at the college party it was just the funniest thing to film because we filmed it with like all of our friends in ledges and they're just the biggest they're the craziest people ever it was just <laughs> we we took so many we, i think we had something around 19 takes of that one scene to get that done so um that's fine even the best yeah. directors have to do a lot of takes sometimes it, it was insane <laughs> like it's just each and every time there was either the door opened up too slow because i was opening the door and they're just like ben open it at like five milliseconds i'm like okay <laughs> and then he shuts the door and i'm just like wait does that count zero and i didn't ask him and i i counted zero and he's just like ben you're a second late and i said you didn't tell me if it included zero and he said ben you asked <laughs> <laughs> so um we got we eventually got that down i got my takedown perfectly i was hitting five seconds each and every time but then sometimes um our friend jack spiegel forgot his lines um and then we had um other instances where carly laughed um because there was just a stare off she likes to mess with people when she does like stare off scenes and like she does eyebrow movements to just kind of throw off the other person just for pure fun um and stuff like that uh and then we ended up staying in the mcmahon center uh we got there at two we didn't finish filming until two in the morning and then when two hit one hit and we were already on our way to the mcmahon center i'm just like it might as well do this at this point um 
we somehow, I thought it was going to be packed when we got here. I got to the McMahon Center and the Jaws Suite is open. I was just like, sick. So we got the Jaws Suite, so we had these nice little chairs to sit in. Um, and then we um, we got to editing. I did the, I started the first part of the, the assembly. AJ did like the quote unquote low paid person's work of like sorting the footage into bins. Um, and then... I did the assembly, started the assembly, Jack was just like, it might go a little bit faster if I do it, so I was like, okay, I'm not going to argue, Premiere Pro is way too out of my league sometimes, and then he took it over, we ended up finishing the movie around 9, so it was pretty good. I didn't go to sleep after that though, so I capped out at being awake for 39 hours. Oh. So, yeah. Well, both of these films seem fascinating, you guys obviously all spent a lot of time on this. Um, Tyler McLean, why do you think you deserve to win the film festival? Well, we actually can't. We, yeah, we don't. We don't, um, we don't uh, because not going to blame anybody. We don't have our film. I thought it was it's just because fault. it was late. That's the first reason we couldn't win. But now I understand we don't have this thing we lurked on for almost 24 hours. <laughs> it straight up doesn't exist anymore because I uh, export the, the export was late first of all, and then I accidentally formatted the SD card that has all the footage without backing it up. So, it's gone. Doesn't exist anymore. We worked a lot on it. It doesn't exist. But I had fun. Good we, time shooting. I got stuck in his trunk. <laughs> um, yeah, there was a... That, that, was, that was a moment <laughs> of, like, boy, like... We did this early enough. I don't think my neighbor saw this, but uh, he and he insi I want to say he insisted that uh, he be zip tied in my trunk. I'm like, you just put your hands together, no, and people will believe it. And he's like, no, no, we gotta do this for realism. So that also meant I was driving around with duct tape and zip tie in my back seat. For, like, two <laughs> I, I walked into Walmart and had to buy them. Like, man, I really hope I don't end up on a watch list for this. <laughs> All right, well, you guys still spent a lot of we time on it. Yeah. <laughs> still a lot of time and effort, and at least you got um, the fun out of it. Yeah, what, if, if we did actually submit a film. Maybe we had a chance. And <laughs> I, I think, and I think if it, if if this film existed, it should have won for the pure reason that like we put the most, we put the effort into uh, coming up with creative ways to kill our main character over and over again, <laughs> including just a plain old gas leak. It's a carbon. <laughs> he forgot to change his batteries on a carbon monoxide detector. And like I don't know if it was because we were tired, but we thought that was hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> Anything in twenty four hours, like running with those ideas, like for our group, we just took the first thing and ran with it, and then just threw in as many funny things as we could along with that. And I feel like that's how a lot of it, it, it is like such stories. that like energy of like when you're 12 and at a sleepover yes. and it's 4 a.m. and it's like anything is the funniest thing in it the world. It is exactly that energy. Whenever, when everyone's like trying to go to sleep and then the one kid whispers and then everyone just <laughs> cracks up. Yeah, it's like it, it, it turns to that kind of energy where you're just so like tired and worn down. Because also like we were exhausted. Like Physically. Tyler was like dying at one point um, and I was like myself incredibly tired and then like the next morning I woke up and my I have like a, I've had knee surgery done and my knee popped. I'm like, okay, great. I'm in pain for the rest of the day. So that's tough. Well, even if uh, even <laughs> if you don't have your film, even if you couldn't submit it, you still obviously worked really hard on this. What impact do you think that had on you guys as filmmakers? Uh, <laughs> well, as fil as a filmmaker, um, it, it, it's a really good test on what you can do. Uh, within a short amount of time because because of like the pressure I'm like it, it it kind of like overdrove my creative possibilities whereas like under like normal circumstances this that script I would have wrote it would have taken took me a lot longer but I'm like all right we got to get moving so I pumped out that script in under two hours and I was I was actually pretty proud of how it turned out 
in terms of the filming stuff, I'm like, we haven't, because of like, you know, our, the, the path that we've taken, we don't have a lot of like, you know, filming experience. But it was, it was still fun to like whip out a camera and just get going. And the editing was also, I mean, it, it didn't go great, but I enjoyed parts of it. And you know, it's funny, we actually like were talking about, because we lost all the footage the other night, we were talking about remaking it, like with the, the ability to take our time. Cause like, we do think we have like a solid concept out of that. And I think, you know, we're both in the writing side of the senior capstones. So like, we're kind of, this year we were not working with cameras as much as some of our peers are but like anytime like just like it's one of those things like you might not feel like it but anytime you're with a camera like you're improving your skills you're remembering things you're getting things right like you know i hadn't worked with lighting in like a solid two years maybe and it was just nice to have to work on it again i mean especially since you put in all the work on the script it's glad that you, i'm glad that you guys are actually gonna yeah. be making it i'm I, gonna ask ben how about you on your experience on the project so um i the way we split up the work is we kind of did like a 25 25 25 sort of thing um everyone put in about 25 percent of the effort um and did 25 percent of the help i helped with the writing and i helped with the editing i helped with the assembly but i think my biggest contribution was the acting sort of because i've just now learned that i have somewhat of a passion for acting so when they asked me to act for marty i was just like yes i'll do it yes this is yes um and then there was like that last, we have one of the last shots where, um, not really spoilers, but Marty is the one who finds the body in the bathroom. And there's a shot where I have to, like, I'm up against the wall and I'm kind of like sliding down. That was all improv. Like, they didn't tell me to do that. I just, I should slide down. Um, so I enjoyed the acting far more than the other aspects, but the as other aspects were still fun as well because while in the editing room, we had a lot of fun reviewing the footage especially the 19 takes of the of the party scene because we just saw our friends acting like idiots and it was hilarious and then I'd say the the worst part I would have to say was the writing because it took so long and it was such a headache to make sure all the pieces fall together that's just it was the worst part writing is not necessarily my forte I come up with one-liners so yeah no, but I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Tyler and McLean, but hopefully you didn't lose your <laughs> film. No, we got uh, our film then. <laughs> that's great. So why do you deserve to win the film festival? I would say because of our writing, because we spent so much time and effort crafting the story, making it not, we were making it more show than telling the, the audience. Um, there was a lot of people who were just like, oh, we're already filming. And there was like, there's another group who bought a, their own lighting kit. Like, that's just like... What are we supposed to do against that? But I think the reason that we have a chance is because our writing is solid, our editing is solid, and our visuals are great. So I think that we have a pretty good chance to win. All right, love to hear it. Uh, do you have any closing questions? No, I'm just very glad that you guys had a fun time doing this project. I myself also had a blast, and I can't wait to do it next year. Was this your first year's doing this? This was my first year doing mine. it. I'm a first year, so I mean, <laughs> like, I don't have mine. any other uh, opportunities. I was. I think I'm the only one here who has uh, done it before. Yeah, I've done it before too. I did it last year, yeah, and I, that was during COVID, so it was harder. This year was like perfect, and they set up all the equipment for yeah. us, and we were able to just roll right into it. So I'm really excited to see what happens next year, and I wish you guys <clears> both the best of luck for both this coming project and also next year's well, in the future. All right, that'll do it for this episode of Conversations. Special thanks to Ben Darling, Tyler Toledo, and McLean Hirschbiel. Thank you all for listening. We'll catch you next time.